there's no doubt that the old politics of the two-party system is now gone and over. I don't need lectures from you or anybody on, on the Sinn Féin side of the house. We're very reluctant to kind of say what's red lines, but, but we do have to take climate seriously. There's going to be constant criticism, there's going to be a lot of disappointment, and whoever goes into government is going to be unpopular. Okay. Hello, you are very welcome to RTE's Your Politics podcast. And with me in our Leinster House studio this Thursday evening, our trio of correspondents, Sergeny Rieda, Micheál Lahan, and Paul Cunningham. And it's kind of same old, same old all week, isn't it? Cost of living, cost of living, cost of living. Yeah. Sarah, got the look oh, on yeah. your face. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're just doing the same story over and over and over again. And... When it comes down to it and when they make a decision on it, I don't think there are going to be any surprises from people because we've heard the Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, saying in the Dáil and the Tánis just saying the same thing, that, you know, they would do something in terms of maybe an extra social welfare payment, maybe something on the fuel allowance. And um, we're expecting something on the VAT as well, on the excise duty, maybe and maybe um, an extra um, credit in terms of the electricity bill for people on on, um, middle incomes. So we're not expecting any surprises. So you wonder why don't they just get on with it and make a decision, put us all out of our misery. It is interesting, though, if you have a meeting as as they are today, this is Thursday afternoon, um, that you would have a meeting today about something you want to announce on Tuesday. That's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, six days. That's a long time for everyone to be bulling over this stuff. So I do wonder and agree with you, would it not be possible to short circuit this and just... You were saying earlier, Michal, it's a bit like, you know, this pattern we got used to uh, when Leo Varadkar was Taoiseach in the early stages of the COVID pandemic, you know, like the letter would go from NEFA to the Cabinet subcommittee meeting and then there to the Cabinet. And so the whole decision making process would be strung out over a number of days. Yeah. And I think as the pandemic went on then and the government took office, it did seem to work at a quicker pace. But this is definitely a return to some earlier type of uh, approach. Uh, And it is curious because there did seem to be the lie of the land set out in some detail earlier on in the week. Uh, And now you reach a meeting today with senior ministers and party leaders that won't actually take decisions, uh, which is strange. I suppose the big question, the one thing that we just haven't really figured out in all this, we know there are social protection, probably lump sum payments and allowances coming. There's something on child benefit uh, and the excise duty on petrol and diesel. That's going to be not come to a shuddering halt at the end of February. It's going to be tapered down and legislation, a short finance bill goes mm-hmm. through the doll next week to achieve that. So then it all comes down to that energy credit. Is there another one in May? Is it 200 euro? Could it be less than that? Or could there just be a signal that there's another one on the way definitely in October? Yeah. And they've, you know, there's all those kind of headlines being spun out of, you know, whether, you know, the Greens being against that in May and the wanting to hold fire for September and mm-hmm. so on. Um They've about one billion to play with. So I suppose what they're taking their time over is an argument over who gets what share of that billion in terms of political. Because, pro- yes. you know, it, it, in terms of a story, it may be kind of, you know, a bit wearying at the moment, but it's not as if this stuff doesn't matter. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that this is Tisha Leo Varadkar's budget that isn't a budget. And to a certain extent, he's going to be judged on what this is and he has to assess well what how does it reflect on me he's the person who was saying would he be like that we'd we'd weigh things up like that (laughs) (laughs) but he's the person who was telling us you know what was going to be contained and then he was telling the Fine Gael Parliamentary Party last night which then obviously uh, becomes public knowledge that um, we needed to temper 
expectations. Yeah. So on the one hand, it was being built up as being something substantial, a real response to public concern. Then we're told to temper our expectations yeah. the for another six does days. A bit of that as well, doesn't he? The Thanos talking about inflation peaking and that has to be factored in. That was intriguing because um, yeah. he stopped. He didn't say, therefore, we are going to. Yeah. He just sort of, like a comet. So yeah. zoom, zoomed that would all work to, going back to the original plan then on Tuesday. Lo and behold, it suddenly is a billion again and all the things that were initially uh, perhaps we thought were on the way will ultimately mm-hmm. come. So, Although what strikes me while all of this is going on, Sarah, is like I notice in various WhatsApp groups and so on, all the messages at the moment are about the gas and the, the electricity bills coming yes. in. I mean, people are getting enormous bills. So even with all the support that's been given, it's still a bit of a the, breathtaking. They want more help. Yeah, the bills are very hefty. But I think that they're in a difficult place now because because they have been talking about it for so long that there's an expectation out there that we are going to get another electricity credit. And if they don't come through with that, then the people will be very disappointed about it. So, mm. like, tempering, talking about tempering expectations is kind of a bit like shutting the door after death. <laughs> 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 it's, it's, it's dual. Like, there's a dual side to this. So, I'm not a particularly good analogy. A double-edged thing because yeah. on the one hand, you're talking about we need to do uh, more on the energy credit and that's because we're hearing that from the um, energy companies that, well, we did buy an awful lot of energy in longer term. So, it could be 18 to 24 months, as said by Electric Ireland, before yeah the wholesale prices which have gone down by 42% will be reflected in the residential bills. So explain to me how the windfall tax on energy companies is going to play into all of this. So if it's a public company, they're going to recoup the money by dividend. If it is a private company, they're going to recoup it by a windfall tax. And what's interesting, uh, we heard on the one hand, we had Electric Ireland explaining how there might be this long term before the prices come down. Because once it does go down, it obviates the need for a dividend or, or windfall tax. But we also heard for from ESB who were um, trying to explain that um, windfall taxes weren't necessarily, um, you know, the silver bullet because it could spook investors. I mean, need investors in the long term to ensure that we can make investments in things like the grid to ensure that all of that offshore wind energy can come on. So you just had this sense that somehow it was quick for the price to go up. It's going to be very long for it to come down if it comes down at all, if it comes down at all. And that puts the government on the hook to keep putting through these energy credits if we're all paying very high bills four months into next year even. Yeah, it does give those hundreds of millions though potentially, doesn't it, which weren't factored into the last budget. So it allows the government to make these kind of measures and to announce them along the way without throwing the overall sums out of kilter. Yeah, and get close to that billion and being able to say it's not a mini budget, it's just our Mm -hmm. excellent fiscal management. Um, The other issue that's being discussed and starting this week, Citizens' Assembly on Drugs. Yeah, I think the this was a big announcement from the government. It had been long promised. It was in the uh, programme for government. It was something that the Green Party in particular was pushing for. Um, there was a, what was interesting about it, there was a cross-party group um, trying to push for this. So you had people like Paul McAuliffe of Fianna Fáil, Nessa Harrigan of the Green Party, but also Ayanna Reardon from um, Labour Party, Lynn Rowan, the independent senator, um, Holly Kearns from Social Democrats. So an awful lot of people coming behind it. And what they've, in essence, what they've been saying is that they don't want to get into what might happen after the um, Citizens' Assembly and uh, the Rock This Committee and mm-hmm. legislation. They're saying the Citizens' Assembly in itself has got an inherent value in which they're appealing for all citizens to come with an open mind as to how we're going to get out of the rut we're in, in which we simply criminalise those who take drugs 
and we try to stop the importation of drugs, yet all of the evidence suggests that decade, decade after decade after decade, the amount of drugs coming in here is just getting bigger. Mm-hmm. And they're saying this is the opportunity to have that frank, open and tough conversation with ourselves about what we need to do. So of itself, just the Citizens Assembly alone, I think it's of huge value. Yeah, and I noticed uh, Justice Minister Simon Harris, he had some strong words in the Dáil today for people who use drugs recreationally and so on and the way that they're feeding a a criminal trade. But, you know, it is this question, it's being debated across um, America, it's being debated across various European countries. I mean, there's been a lot, I was thinking about this today, you know, since, like I I remember growing up, there was... You, you didn't know what heroin was. I remember, you know, various iterations of gangs and, and drugs and all the rest. And it's gotten worse generation after generation. Yeah. Mm. So despite all the very valiant efforts that have gone into And the amount of money yeah, which has yeah. gone into it as well. And I think that um, I was talking to Gino Kenny of the People Before Profit just before coming down here, another person who was um, pushing for this and he was saying, you know, we did have a heroin problem or we still do. We've got 11,000 people on methadone. Methadone is supposed to be a temporary solution, but guess what? People are on it all the time. Once again, we need to try and think of, is there another way of being able to get out of this? And, you know, I'm 54 years old. The cannabis that was floating around when I was a a teenager in my early 20s is completely different now. And yet at the same time, if you talk to rural TDs like um, Holly Curran, she says it is everywhere and it's in all of the schools. So the dimensions to the problem have just got bigger. And yet the same solution, the failed solution, is still being applied. So I think this is a, a huge opportunity to step back and think, you know, what about the Portuguese model? model? Is that or is that mm-hmm. something that we could use? Or there's Canadian models, or there's German models. But once again, at least if we're actually um, having that frank, honest and tough decision or discussion with ourselves, then maybe we might be able to improve things. Um, the other issue I want to talk about um, that was, um, there was a rare show really of kind of emotion and cross-party feeling in the door last night. Uh, Sarah, I'll go to you on this uh, and the passing of the patient safety uh, legislation. And of course, there'd been a row about this before Christmas, the opposition saying after Vicky Phelan's death in November, the legislation didn't go far enough, came back, went through the amendments last night. Um, what TD, what politicians have been saying about this moment? Well, um, I I wasn't actually following the debate last night. I've seen some of the highlights since. And of course, it is landmark legislation and it's great to see it. It's kind of at the same time when you see that what happened yesterday, you know, that awful court case with Coley and O'Scully and the information that they were trying to get out of the medical services about what happened with their child. You know, you wonder, well, is this legislation going to make it easier to get information like that? And I don't think we're going to know about that until it's actually working. Mm-hmm. You know, I know this is primarily to do with um, forcing with the health services making information available when they've carried out tests and so on and that you'll have a right to have your information reviewed. But I just don't know. Does it go far enough? I definitely was pressure brought by the political system, perhaps more on 
officials and those who perhaps had a, a large sway into the early drafting of this legislation. And you could see that from before Christmas when it was decided to pause it. Uh, and then last week again. And I mean, I think some of the conversations between the health minister and some opposition TDs were underway from very early yesterday morning to, to make sure that this all passed off smoothly last night. So it, I think it was handled deftly by Stephen Donnelly. I think it was handled well by the opposition as well, who made uh, their calls very clearly before Christmas and agreement was reached, there's also going to be an increased number of audits, which which haven't been as regular in recent years. Uh, that's all part of, of the agreement that was reached as well. I mean, it was very poignant as well. I mean, I thought it was interesting that, um, you know, Alan Kelly was talking about um, this was um, Vicky Phelan's legacy. Um, Stephen uh, Donnelly, the Minister for Health, was talking about the reason we're here is because of Vicky Phelan. And it was a landmark piece of legislation, but the point was Vicky Phelan wasn't there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and others who were also um, became ill and died as a result of it. And um, other women are continuing to struggle with it. And I think that was the great sadness. You know, yes, work had been done. Yes, it was done collaboratively. Yes, they'd got something over the line. The minister qualified it by saying yeah. implementation would be key. But the truth was, it was Vicky Phelan's law, but only after Vicky Phelan had, had fought a brave fight and then died. And there was another, we, we spoke about it with Lorraine Walsh from 221 Plus, who was yeah. in the Doll Gallery yeah. last night uh, and watching uh, all of this. And we spoke about it with her on Morning Ireland today. But, you know, it's one thing to change the law. But that point that Gabriel Scali made about the culture and, you know, again, that's the question that arises in terms of, you know, the nursing home payments and the disability payments, whatever about the rights and wrongs of the law, which may be black and white. And that's the way the law works culturally and, you know, the balance of the vulnerable against the state. These are still questions, yeah. aren't they? They keep coming back in yeah. politics. And what you did see here, though, was the political system was standing up uh, which is very different uh, to what you're hearing in relation to around the nursing home charges and the people in long-term yeah. residential care. Very different tone being struck there. Uh, and you would sense, given the signal and given it was a cross-party signal, that, that it could make a difference when it comes to making that information available to people, you would think. One other issue, uh, of course, that was a talking point uh, across politics this week was the uh, departure of Nicola Sturgeon. And that follows on Dennis Nocton here, of course, the former uh, Fine Gael TD, former minister, now independent TD, saying he's going to be quitting politics. Uh, Nicola probably saw that instead of Dennis. <laughs> Dennis is going, I'm that gone. But it's, it's that kind of trend. And also with the locals and the Europeans next yeah. year and... We've been hearing various stories, haven't we, about yeah. parties struggling to get candidates. And Brendan Griffin also going yeah, as well. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. Um, he, towards the end of last year, you know, September, October, there was a, a lot of political parties had um, think-ins as they were getting back into it. And it was interesting. Went to, to them all, Pop. I did. <laughs> Not that I wanted to. No but, greater um, service. <laughs> but a lot of parties were um, aware of the pressures that politics has, particularly of social media. They had an awful lot of training courses Involved, So they're keenly aware, partly because they ex experienced it themselves, but keenly aware that people looking in from the outside are wondering, why would you do that? Like, why would you want to put yourself up to be yeah. pilloried night and day? Nicola Sturgeon talking about the, uh, the bit that struck a chord with me about how difficult it was to go for a cup of coffee. Mm. You just yeah, couldn't do that because it was going to be a problem. And I think that is a, a real challenge for the body politic. And I think, you know, Let's see what they come up with. But at the moment, it's just, as far as I can see, it gets more and more difficult. I think it's going to be very hard as well for parties to get, for uh, uh, all parties to get candidates to stand in the next election. And or even hold on to the people they've got. Yeah. Is and that going to be a bigger problem? Last week or the week before, we were talking about security issues and 
uh, how difficult it's been for people, you know, having to get extra money to put in extra securities in their clinics, not being able to go to a clinic on their own without having somebody along with them. Like, it's very off-putting for people out there who don't know anything about politics. And what I find strange about it this time around, you know, years ago, you would have seen the people who've been in politics a long time, the older people retiring. But now, yeah. the fact that it's the younger people who are saying, enough of this, I, I can't handle this anymore, I'm wanting to get out of there, I think that's very worrying. There's that sense of 50 as well, which Brian Hayes identified some years back, didn't he, as the, the mm-hmm. age to get out. And Leo Varadkar, once upon a time, said he would be gone by 50 and then said, no, no, he wouldn't be gone by 50. But I think it does show that that is the general feeling around here on Murphy, Brendan Griffin. Uh, Will there be more, do you think? Yeah. Joe McHugh, I mean, yeah. that, the, yeah. the great five-a-side team of 2011, will, will there be any left at all? You know, I mean, it's also like a, an international thing. Francois Hollande, the former French president, was on a podcast recently, and he was talking about how he went back to his own university. And in that university, it was a more business-focused, and there was usually people who saw themselves as being the Alain, that they were going to be rising and possibly becoming a minister, if not president. That was the type of milieu he was in. And he said, no one was going into politics. And they were looking at the job saying, you know, on the left-hand side, private sector job, loads of money and happy Mm -hmm. days. Mm -hmm. On the right-hand side, a public job where you're pilloried and lashed. Why would would you you do do it? it? And it's amazing, too, that the politicians who went through those years of austerity in the kind of 2010 period onwards and say that that was very difficult but what's happening now is more difficult, is more intense. And of course, that is as a result of the, the increased place of social media and the coarsening of debate online, which is feeding its way through to, to debate on the street as well. Yeah. Uh, so, so as bad and as difficult as things became for people uh, and for those involved in public life, a decade ago, it's worse now. Yeah, and actually interesting, that goes back to what Nicholas Sturgeon was saying about the impact on families, which is something you hear politicians uh, talking about a lot. Uh, two other issues I want to talk about quickly before we go that seem to be uh, bubbling around the place. Um, are we edging closer to a deal on the protocol? Is, is there something in, in the undergrowth? Oh, yeah. Dare we get our hopes up? <laughs> yes, yes, well, yes. Yeah, oh, you UK, were brave enough yeah. to say it. <laughs> yes, I think we are getting close to a deal. I think the, the mechanics... Like the pathway is there. What we're now engaging in is the politics of it. How can it be arranged? How can it be sold? How can it uh, deal achieve the results you want? For example, the institutions coming back up again. Nigel Dodds, the DUP um, MP, was saying that um, he felt that things or the DUP was more likely to be saying now, no now than ever before that its position is hardened. Mm. So obviously we'll wait and see. But the mood music in the context of Brussels and London, of which Dublin is very close to those talks as well, is this is a job that can be done. Up to Rishi Sunak to get this over the line with his own party then and the DUP, Sarah? It looks like it, yeah. The UK papers were all reporting this past week that um, he's meeting with EU leaders this week and um, they're saying that they've reached an accommodation about the jurisdiction of the European Court that you know, it could be the court of last resort in the north. And then this thing about the green channel and the red channel in terms of goods coming from the UK. And they're all expecting an announcement within the next two weeks. So, um, all systems go. We don't know what the DUP are going to say about that. Michal, one other issue. Mick Wallace uh, in the European Parliament, there have been a number of politicians correcting uh, the record uh, about uh, their declarations here. And uh, Mick Wallace has had to correct um, a statement he was making on TikTok. Yeah, he made a statement on TikTok. This was part of a campaign against a move to show that wine uh, can cause cancer. Uh, And he was 
uh, voicing opposition to this and saying that he was a wine bar owner. And he since uh, changed his position on that, saying he isn't in fact a wine bar owner, but does provide consultancy of some uh, type to three wine bars in Dublin. And that uh, leads to an income of less than 500 a month. So he's had to correct the record on that. All comes back to social media, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and Italian Social media wine. and the drink. <laughs> Deadly <laughs> combination. <laughs> Deadly combination. <laughs> yes, what do they say? Never tweet when. when yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Well, thank you all for your thoughts this Thursday evening. Uh, we'll be back with you again next week at the usual time. Thanks for listening. In the meantime, please follow and subscribe, and we'll see you next Thursday. Thank you.